0: If you're thinking about starting a podcast, let us tell you about Anchor.
1: First off, it's free and you can record and edit your show through your computer or phone or import your show from whatever recording software you already use.
0: Anchor will then distribute your show for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.
1: And probably the best part, you can start making money with no minimum listenership.
0: It's everything you need to start a podcast from start to finish in one place. And it was a super easy switch for us.
1: Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm.
0: Welcome back. This is a super mini episode uh, of LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Scott. I'm here with my bestie.
1: Hey, it's Dr. Shiloh here as well.
0: So, why are we here, Shiloh?
1: I thought it'd be good to read a email that we got from one of our listeners because it's appropriate for right now. and, And I think it deserves a little bit of time on its own. So this comes from Sarah in Ohio. And she says, in part, I appreciate your discussion on how to keep your mental health in check during this pandemic. I live in Ohio and have been furloughed from work since March 17th. And the soonest I can go back is May 2nd, once our stay at home order is lifted. Um, given that it won't be extended. Um, So she says, do you think we could see an increase in trauma-related disorders in the future due to this pandemic, especially within the medical community? And then she goes on to talk about how she has a couple of family members who work as nurses in hospitals. So Scott, I'll let you um, go ahead and answer first on some thoughts and how we think this is gonna impact community and, and medical staff.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really glad to have that question come in, and I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to, you know, give some feedback that's based on who we are as clinicians and the kind of work that we do. Um, one of the first things I would say is we're recording this on Thursday, April 16th in the evening. Shiloh is in her hometown, which is outside Los Angeles. I'm kind of south of Hollywood. So we're miles and miles apart. And we're both affected by the uh, the shutdowns as well. It's been a month now, right? Did you say it's been a
1: yeah, it, about on, a month? Yes, yes, about four okay. weeks.
0: And then our, was it Elizabeth who wrote in? I mean, she's, I mean, we're Sarah, okay, so Sarah, we're coming to this late. You've already been dealing with this for a month. You've got another month to go. Clearly, we've all got another month to go. I would agree with you very solidly that, yeah, this is going to have some repercussions for our society as a whole. Um, It doesn't mean that necessarily all of it is going to be bad. But right now, I think people are getting... I was expecting this. I was expecting at three to four weeks in, people were going to start getting squirrely. You know, I'm noticing in my neighborhood that where a week and a half ago, everybody was wearing masks and slowly day by day, you're seeing less and less people keeping the physical distancing and wearing the masks in the way they should, even though LA has been very successful in flattening the curve. So I think there's some fatigue going on. Um, For me as a, as in a middle-aged gay man, it's it is highly reminiscent of what we went through in the '80s in the early years of the AIDS pandemic, where people got what we call condom fatigue, and they started getting tired of wearing condoms and um, engaging in safer uh, sex practices. And I really worry that that's going to happen. In this situation as well. And
1: that's so interesting. You, and, and I know, you're, you know your neighborhood is obviously denser than mine. Um, and I'm, I'm not seeing that. I think I've seen the opposite. However, you're more LA centric than I am. So it's like a wave of how this is going to happen, I think, where yeah. everyone here is now wearing their masks, even when they're out on walks. Mm-hmm probably with just their family members, um, from the same household. Um, and then when I go to work now, you know, I work in a city building where they literally have security guards only allowing certain amount of people into elevators. Everyone has masks on. Um, actually as of what this week, it was that you shall be wearing the masks out in public. Um, and it, it to me it feels like this week is actually ramped up where some people are getting more the most serious about it than they have. But it's so interesting to kind of see it from, you know, where you live and then it's trickling out to me and and probably we're a little bit behind.
0: Well, I, I think that's a good point, Shiloh. I think that that it speaks to that no population is really homogenous and everybody sort of still I, I hate to use the word entitled, but people are getting tired and they're getting, you know, not in, this has never happened. I mean, this has happened before, but not in this current generation. You know, we haven't faced something that hits this many Uh, aspects of the entire population since the flu epidemic. I mean, we've had scares that were really scary over the past few decades, but we've also had a system in place to take care of them. And unfortunately our system was dismantled and, and there wasn't action taken at the beginning. It doesn't mean that we can't get on top of this, but sorry to ramble as I usually do, but circling back back around to what Sarah was saying is I, I am really concerned about our healthcare workers. I'm concerned because we we do our healthcare workers a disservice by bear with me folks we do them a disservice by calling them heroes without actually understanding what it is they're experiencing you know many of these people people nurses the nurses i grew up with and are still my dear friends are such hard chargers they're like cops and they are there for the duration they will wear themselves absolutely to the bone taking care of patients. And that is when they are at the most dangerous because when their bodies are depleted and they're not taking care of themselves and they're working in an environment where there are sick individuals with high viral loads, they're more at danger. So how does this actually apply to long-term possibility of traumatic response? The way it ties into that is everybody's vibrating on this higher level right now. We're all mitigating and modulating and moderating our own internal levels of stress. And people are dealing in a lot of different ways. They're exercising. That's great. Some people aren't exercising. Some people are sleeping too much. Some people are sleeping too little. Some people are maybe engaging in a little more recreational substances than they usually would (laughs) out of boredom and alcohol
1: sales are way up
0: alcohol sales are up you know weed is legal here in uh in california i'll call it cannabis because i know some people out there get really offended if i don't (laughs) call it cannabis um i don't have any problem with it i think for stress relief that's great i don't think it's going to be great if you have other medications that it can interact with but like anything it's all about moderation and i don't think that people that are on the front lines of this situation are even thinking about moderation right now. They're just thinking of saving people as much as they can. And, you know, I mean, what they should be avoiding is working too long by themselves without checking in with their colleagues. No one should be working around the clock with no breaks because that's when you start making mistakes and you don't check for tears in your PPE or you don't go through decontamination protocols the way you should. So, you know, I do know that people in traumatic response mode will do things like engaging in negative self talk or self negating self talk and what we call attitudinal obstacles. So they'll say, Oh, it would be selfish of me. I mean, I'd be such a dick to take a rest because everybody else is working so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody else is just working nonstop. So I need to do it too because I want to be as good as they are or I owe it to my patients. And, or, you know, the needs of the people that I'm taking care of. Are more important than mine and you know Shiloh you and I are are huge proponents of the the whole airplane oxygen mask theory which right
1: right so you know whenever you're on an airplane and they're explaining all the equipment that when that oxygen mask comes down they tell you if you're with a small child make sure you put yours on first and then put theirs on because that doesn't feel instinctual you would want to make sure your child um gets that life-saving method before you. However, the idea is if you pass out because you haven't put your oxygen mask on, that more vulnerable individual can't do it themselves. So in relating it back to what you're talking about, the nurse has to take care of themselves before they can help the other people. Right. So it's I I, there is something to that. And of course, that's how it should be. Um, I don't know if that's the reality because of equipment and uh, personnel and deployment issues of how it actually is. But I think there is some uh, self-ownership more that you're really talking about that if there is. The luxury of being able to take time to slow down that they do that instead of feeling like they absolutely just need to keep going until they drop um but it is i think we're gonna see a lot of but our work as therapists is going to be after this, um, and I, I don't mean you and me specifically. I just mean the therapeutic world because after this is over, that's when the real work is going to start for us and helping out folks who have just been hard charging yeah. the entire time. Yeah, um, you know it, it's interesting in in putting it in terms of trauma, um, and and we've talked before about what kind of that definition is. Um. You know, obviously, they're seeing trauma after trauma. they're seeing people die they're they're seeing people on the brink of death, and a lot of them are seeing their colleagues die as well. So it's a lot of death, it's a lot of loss, um, and it is also a very traumatic situation for them specifically um, it's where... also
0: that it's happening all at the same time. No one goes into the medical field without knowing. you don't go into nursing. You might go into being a medical doctor, expecting, okay, I'll work the ER for a while and then I'll specialize or I'll be a trauma doc, but I won't be working around the clock. And right. basically you understand that if you're gonna be a nurse that's not that's working in a hospital setting, you're going to be working late shift hours on your feet. You're you know, you're you're prepared for that, but you're not prepared for you know, 60 people coming in in the same day, all with their lungs completely filled with mucus, which is what's happening in rural areas right now. And it's- For it's, days
1: on end. You for know. day,
0: just yeah. nonstop, just not Yeah,
1: it's, it's something that, you know, one of my jobs at work is to sort of be there for the different divisions that I'm assigned to, to talk with them about their worries and, and to help normalize things. And what I've been talking about with a lot of them lately is- you know, as, as employees of a large law enforcement agency, even civilians, you know, we sign that piece of paper that says, hey, if there's a big emergency or disaster, our duty to the city is first. So, you know, when the big one hits Los Angeles, we are expected to report to work to make sure the entities function and I've been telling them, you know, hey, when we all sign that, I don't think we ever pictured something like this. We pictured a one-time event, probably happening very Los Angeles-centric. Not that it would be impacting where you live or your family, and that there was a, a short time frame on it. Even if it's riots, you know, days maybe. Um, this doesn't have an end, and it can impact absolutely anyone. So there is this real um for some people that don't feel like they're essential or frontline there can be this pull of like well do i really need to be here cuz i need to be home protecting myself and my family
0: and and that's another really important and distinctive point that you make is you know as as a public service worker myself during the the fires last year we were deployed after the horrific fires up in the canyons to help out in any way we could with the community that were survivors. And that was really challenging. It was also really fulfilling to do what we could, but the trauma, the, the event, the precipitating event had already happened. Mm -hmm. So once again, circling back to this idea that this continues to go on and it's nonstop and and, it's different from an earthquake or a fire in that the people on the front lines, including public service people that sign that paper that they're going to do emergency work, then run the risk of taking infection home to their loved ones, to their elderly or immunocompromised uh, relatives. And, and that's making people, rightly so, having to question where their duty lies, right. and I completely understand. I mean, I, I'm I'm not in that position yet, as I knock on wood, but I can completely understand the really challenging decision you have to make if you're in that position. And that's not what they were expecting. Like you were saying, this is a different situation.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's so you know. I I think my point was really to kind of look at the spectrum of how it's impacting people. I mean, we haven't even talked really about you know, just regular folks that are sitting at home that aren't necessarily part of essential workers. Um, but you know, what, what I've really been talking to people about what helped me, I think kind of find my center again after the first week or two was really coming back to the idea of grit and gratitude. And those two things have been, um, really centering me, um, you know, of course, everyone thinks about themselves and their families first. And I think that's just natural and 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 some more than others. Um, but if you think about why you've chosen this work in the first place, and, and grit is the combination of perseverance and passion. And if you're passionate about what you do and your work, and you have this perseverance of... It's going to get really, really tough at times. And this is that on steroids, then you're going to be able to be, have that more gritty piece of your personality to get through it. Because the only way through, the only way out is through, and there's no magic pause button or thing that's going to rescue us from this. We have to go through it. Mm Um, and and so that's what i've really been talking to folks about is finding that piece of yourself and hopefully you work in a work group with other gritty people as well but i've i've kind of started to translate that to is your family a gritty group because you need to have the talks with your family like hey what's our plan what if one of us gets sick are we going to quarantine in a room um is one of us going to go to a hotel you know what how are the
0: logistics that... like really having yeah like we i mean we living in southern california it, it, you have those conversations I mean, I remember moving here and learning like, oh, I need with my roommates, we need to figure out an earthquake plan. You know, you always have to have that in the back of your mind. It's the same thing with this situation. Right.
1: Because you can't think it up in the moment. You know, you're too, you're going to be way, there's too many emotions going on. So if you're having those discussions with your family now, you're going to feel more confident. You're going to feel more prepared, which, you know, is just. For anything, you know, finances, once you once you talk about some of these difficult things, sometimes then you're like, oh, okay, or you finally get your will done, or, you, you know, some of those adulting type things, you feel so much better afterwards, but you really have to make sure those those plans are in place. And then I've I have been going back to gratitude a lot during this. Um, there's a really great podcast that I've listened to anyway. It's called Road to Resilience, and the last several weeks they've been it's been very COVID specific. And there was one a couple of weeks ago where they interview an ICU nurse from Queens, New York, and you really just get a sense of what a war zone it is for them that there is no light at the end of the tunnel they're seeing colleagues who are managers step up to help do the work. And one of them died. And so they're having to mourn a colleague while continuing to work. And I just, you know, for me, that makes me feel so grateful to think, wow, I get to go to an office every day. And yeah, I have to go into work and maybe see some clients, which I'm okay with. But, you know, I'm nowhere near a situation. Like they're in and and so just to be able to at the end of the day pause and do a little gratitude um, practice, which for me has been journaling what makes me happy that day, what someone else did nice for me, and what I did nice for someone else, Just answering those three quick things gives me you know a little bit of peace at the end of the day and being grateful for what's going right
0: I don't know if it's going on in your neighborhood, but every night in all across Hollywood at 8 p.m., everyone is standing in their windows and clapping and yelling and whooping for in honor of our healthcare workers. Right. So, whoever you are listening out there, I would uh, please, please consider doing that. Um, you know we we will get through this. There is going to be loss. There's going to be some some really terrible loss. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm afraid. I'm absolutely like, I have no idea as careful as we are with the masks and gloves and washing and protocol, you know, there are still things that could happen and there are perfectly healthy people, athletes, you know, that are hardcore Ironman level athletes with no underlying issues, but they get exposed to someone with a high viral load that may be asymptomatic and, you know they're knocked down within a few days. Look at Chris Cuomo, the yeah, the reporter who is undoubtedly in some one of the best shapes you've ever seen. Like <laughs> the guy, the guy is a rock.
1: Well, one of our SWAT team members tested positive, and you know, talk about a pillar of fitness. He said it kicked his ass.
0: Yeah, Cuomo said he lost I think eighteen pounds in three days.
1: Whoa! Yeah,
0: there was just like it, it's just a brutal, brutal disease, and once again to. To Get back to Sarah's original question. I think the challenge in this one of the things that makes this so challenging is our generation has not seen this ever. Right. You know, we look. We can look back to the Spanish flu pandemic, and we can see uh, certainly an almost like on a mac a micro scale because the population was much smaller. The same thing happened in the U.S. The cities that took care of social distancing and wearing masks and and staying in and not going out, they, they resolved it a lot quicker than cities that didn't. I mean, that's just, that's historical fact. However, what's different is, is that we get more and more information each day that there are different strains of this, and it lasts in the body, and some people longer than others. And so things are going to change. You know, we are all going to be, Uh, pumping a lot of adrenaline and cortisol through our system for probably the next two years. And the reality, like you said, Shiloh, is we are going to have to find inner grit and resilience, uh, and resilience can be learned. there's a lot of resources out there for learning how to do this um, you know and, yeah, we and, and talked
1: um, about it in our bonus episode after our, our columbine episode right if Folks want to go back and listen to that
0: you know I think about and people that are starting to itch about um confinement and quarantine and I remember working uh at in the uh, state prison system when inmates were in ADSEG, administrative segregation. So it was the jail within the prison for breaking rules or for safety's sake. And you would have two individuals living in, I think, a nine by four foot cell. And you have to work it out. (laughs) Like, you have to work it out. You have to survive it. And they'd be in there for 90 days or six months or eight months or sometimes over a year, it's possible to do it. It's not the the most um, wonderful, but we are capable of doing it. And I would say this, you know, in a time like this, surround yourself with the people that feed you and support you emotionally. And those that don't, try not to engage in educating them on why they're not, why and how they're not supporting you in the way you need. Just let it be. Just absolutely let it be if you're on social media, don't get into arguments with people that have different viewpoints. just don't engage yeah. right now this Now's is about time s- it is just not the time, and that's coming from someone who always jumps in feet first you know <laughs> had
1: to learn that lesson
0: <laughs> throwing attitude <laughs> yeah I'm always doing that, but right now we need to keep ourselves safe so that we can take care of ourselves and we can take care of others. Because we're, this is all gonna, this is going to touch us all when it finally settles, and whatever we can do, uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially for our first responders—those doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and administrators that are on the front line—you know, let them know in whatever way you can that you support them, please.
1: Right, right. and it, human beings are incredibly resilient. And, you know, I think we need to remember that at the end of the day. And even if, if you look at the research of people exposed to traumatic events, 70% of them are not going to develop full-blown PTSD. So, again, circling back to Sarah's original questions, there's going to be work to do, but I think the healthcare worker is going to be greatly supported um, and that will go a long way because if you're getting that support afterwards, it it's less likely to be severe long-term issues that they're going to have to struggle with. So, right. well, I think this may uh, deserve to be a mini episode in and of itself. I so think so. We I think we're going to put it out.
0: Yeah. Why don't we drop it real quick and okay. um, I'll have it ready pretty soon, because I think this is a message that needs to get out to people and, and hopefully we'll open up some dialogue, you know, inner dialogue with yourself and dialogue with your family and your friends. And, um, don't, you know, if you, if anybody wants more discussion on this, you know, get your questions together. Maybe we'll do a live stream on Facebook or something to have sort of a, a, a more immediate response to some questions you might have. It won't be therapy, Right. But we can prevent, we'll call it psychoeducation because um, we want everybody to know that, you know, we're all in this together.
1: Yes, definitely. All right. We'll see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye, Bye-bye. folks.